is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah! This, this is Mick Shots, streaming live on DallasCowboys.com and the official Dallas Cowboys app. Time for a special edition of Mick Shots here on DallasCowboys.com on this player day off in training camp from Oxnard, California. Mickey Spagnola here. You're used to hearing Bill Jones bring us into this show, Everson Walls. But Bill left, Everson's still back in Dallas, and they just left me by myself. That's rude. So we are going to have a special guest here on Mick Shots, Brad Sham, radio voice of the Dallas Cowboys, starting, if I've got my math right, like sixth decade doing this stuff. Do you ever count them up? I don't, I don't count them by decades because that really sounds ponderous. It's <laughs> it's my 43rd season on the radio broadcast. So, All right, 70s, was, 80s, 90s, 90s, 2000, 2010, and now 20s. 20s. Six, six yeah. decades. Wow, how about that? Sounds like more years. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we decided that you guys have certainly heard enough of me talking about training camp. And uh, since we have Brad here who can – be our cowboy historian. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk Hall of Fame. What, like you can't? Well, no, you've got a few. Uh, well, you've got, got one few. more decade than, yeah. than I do. Uh, we'll talk Hall of Fame with the Cowboys having three guys going in uh, this weekend after they play in the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night. Jimmy Johnson, Drew Pearson, Cliff Harris, and... During Brad's time, he's seen all three guys during their careers here, although I think Cliff and Drew beat you to the punch. They started uh, before me, but I did get to broadcast both of their, uh, some of both of their games. So I did I did have that privilege, and of course I've known them right. really well through for decades. And Brad's going to be fortunate enough to, after the Cowboys game Thursday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers to remain in Canton, Ohio for all the festivities, including the Yellow Jacket uh, presentation, uh, the Saturday-Sunday inductions of all three guys, and maybe best of all, the post-induction parties. You know, I I know I'll be at Drew's, Okay, and uh, the Cowboys are having a reception for all three of them on Saturday afternoon before the induction. That'll be special because it'll be all Cowboys people who will be there, people who have been affiliated with all three of those guys at various times throughout their tenures. And so I was really uh, honored to be invited to that. And then, uh, yeah, then then Drew Drew said, come to the party. So, um, you, oh, who, yeah. Who am I to say, <laughs> who am I to be rude and say no? So, uh, yeah, I'll. I will uh, probably be a little bleary-eyed Monday morning catching the flight out of Cleveland, and I won't care. But the pro he is, he'll be ready to go on next week. So the Cowboy Party, that'll be pretty neat because normally when Cowboys are inducted, so there's so many Cowboy players in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, a lot of them show up uh, for the induction. I mean, they show up, some of them, year yearly uh, since they they're all part of it and that'll be a nice walk down memory lane too you would think that there would be a lot of the players who played for jimmy who will be there 
Um, I, I mean, I believe Fox is televising the game Thursday night, so Troy Aikman will be there surely. Since he's Jimmy's presenter, he right. will obviously uh, stay for the ceremony. All of those guys that we covered uh, who played for Jimmy will almost certainly be there for the ceremony because it's right before the ceremony. Yeah. And then the guys who played with uh, Cliff and uh, Drew, um, that you know, Again, they will be there, you would think, as many of you know that Roger Staubach will be there, and, and you know that Rayfield Wright will be there, and some of them are getting up a little bit. and uh, Hard to travel these don't, days. Don't travel <laughs> quite as well. Um, I know Bob Lilly used to go all the time, uh, and and I I hope that he goes, and um, some of the other ones you, you, you just don't know because they are some of them at an age where traveling is getting a little bit tougher, but... Um, but, yeah, you do hope to see an awful lot of them there, absolutely. So your thoughts on each of the three guys that finally, uh, well, two of them finally get in. Uh, I thought that uh, Drew and Cliff, long overdue, wasn't sure where everybody would think about Jimmy. He was only five years with the Cowboys, but then coached another five years in the NFL with uh, Miami, right? Um, and so... His was, I wasn't sure if longevity meant enough, but I think his success with the Cowboys and how he turned around the organization when it was really floundering, uh, having losing seasons in 86, 87, 88, uh, before he got here in 89. And prior to that, they had winning seasons all the way from 19... What sixty six through eighty four? Yeah, I think seventy four might. Uh, no, they had it. They were. Were they have a winning season in seventy four? I believe they just didn't make, yeah. they didn't make they didn't the make the playoffs. That's right. Because right. that was my first year. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, you know, I doomed uh, them. <laughs> the the way that uh, that I always try to relate to that question, Mick, is um, can you tell the story of the NFL without this person? And if the answer is no, whatever your opinion of uh, who they were or how they played or coached or whatever, if you can't tell the story of the league without them, then they have to be in the Hall of Fame. So to address Jimmy's short tenure, there's no way to tell the story of the NFL in the late 20th century without Jimmy Johnson because he did what you said he was at at the forefront of uh, taking that team that some of it was on Tom Landry's last team in 88 when they were 3-13. and 13. That's still the worst Cowboys team I've ever seen. And, um, they, and they had to turn the roster over completely. Now, the interesting thing to me always is that the, the, the core of the offensive line that won the Super Bowls, Nate Newton, uh, Kevin Gogan, Mark Tuanay, those guys were all starting in 88. Right. They were all the ones that all the writers said were the worst offensive line in the history of football. Same guys were starting in 91, 2, 3. Uh, they, you know, they changed out the other couple of pieces. But um, Jimmy essentially orchestrated, and it's really the same reason Jerry Jones is in the Hall of Fame. You cannot tell the story of the NFL without the prominent place that Jerry Jones holds. And so you can't tell the story of the NFL in that period of time uh, without Jimmy Johnson. I, I don't think there's, frankly, anything that Jimmy did 
with the Dolphins that has right. that got him into the Hall of Fame. It's all what he did with the Cowboys. Uh, although the Dolphins can certainly claim him if they want, because you're right, he was their head coach for a while, but he didn't have anything approaching the success that he did in Dallas. But but you can't tell that story without him. And and so two Super Bowls, uh, being the architect of the team that went to a championship game and won a third Super Bowl, I think that certainly merits his spot. I thought Drew was the one whose uh, oversight was most egregious. Um, we get too hung up on statistics. This is not a sport to be measured just by statistics or analytics. <laughs> it's got its place. But, you know, if you just look at the raw numbers, then you would look at Drew and say he didn't do anything. Right. But then put it in context and look at uh, how was the game being played when he played. And uh, until his induction, until his, his election, Drew was the only member of the team of the decade of the 70s who was not in the Hall of Fame. Now, normally, players who are elected to the team of the decade, they are pretty much shoe-ins for the Hall of Fame. And so why Drew was not in the Hall of Fame until being voted in this year still escapes me. And uh, he was a, a, an absolutely essential part of the offense of the early 70s that Roger Staubach captained and on and on. He, he, his oversight, excuse me, to me, was the most egregious. Now, in Cliff's case, it's harder because we still try to quantify play by statistics and so how do you quantify a safety you can't take into account the scheme that was being played you can't take into account so they go by what do they go by interceptions well that's completely unfair right for a safety and uh, and i think that safety is one of those positions and it is true today darren woodson is uh struggling with the effects of it there, the John Lynch, was Lynch elected? Is he going in? Yes. Okay. So I think he, I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But how do you determine? How do you tell? Uh, Ten years down the road, how do you tell John Lynch from Steve Atwater? Wh which one of them deserves to be in more? There are some say Troy Polamalu is going in. Well, if you watched, if you just watched the games, you know that Troy Polamalu deserves to be in. Ed Reed went in a year or two ago. Well, not last year, but, uh, okay, well, he deserves to be. If you watch the games, watch those teams, help them win a championship, Ed Reed deserves to be in. Well, okay, but now the when Cliff Harris played, there's not so many people who watch the games who are around doing the voting anymore. And you're now, as is the case with Drew Pearson, you are uh, somewhat comparing apples and oranges because of the style that was different. So you had to understand the uniqueness of the Tom Landry defense, the role that Cliff and his presenter Charlie Waters played in orchestrating that defense and flouting it from time to time. The best stories are the ones that Cliff and Charlie and their, their then position coach Gene Stallings 
told about the times that they just decided to do something other than what uh, Tom Landry and the defensive coordinator Ernie Stautner sent in. Called their own defenses. They did. Yes. They did. And, and most in big of, games, too. And in most of the time it worked, and sometimes it didn't. The Super Bowl right. against the Steelers where uh, uh, Charlie Waters ran into the umpire and uh, Franco Harris went running for a touchdown. Just a hysterical story to hear Cliff and Charlie talk about how Terry Bradshaw said he audible to a run on that play because he saw a blitz. And Cliff and Charlie, in unkind terms, uh, would say, he, we didn't blitz. We weren't blitzing. Bradshaw didn't know a blitz when he <laughs> saw it or didn't see it. I just ran into the umpire. And, um, but they would do things regularly to change the defense based on what they thought worked. And that was, um, I think, for a long time, and I was probably guilty of this, uh, Cliff, because he was such a ferocious tackler, and you tackled live in practice. And anybody who played with Cliff Harris and Randy White paid the price for it. Right. And that, so that's how Cliff developed the nickname Captain Crash, not only for what he did in games, but for how he tackled his teammates in practice. So because he had that physicality and that reputation in practice, Cliff became known as the physical one, and Charlie Waters became known as, as the cerebral one. But that, that didn't give enough credit to the physicality of Charlie's play or the intellect that Cliff brought to the game. And so, um, you know, Cliff was just instrumental in all of those great, Cowboys teams, and I'm very happy for him. Played in uh, all five of those Super Bowls uh, during Landry's uh, coaching career. So, uh, yeah, and I, and I think the point Brad makes is too many times the only way uh, some voters can quantify voting for a guy into the Hall of Fame is they look at statistics. And as he said, and I've always said that, uh, our job for the Hall of Fame is to protect the stories that must live into posterity after we're gone. At some point, we won't be here to right. tell those stories. Other people won't be here to tell the stories, but the Hall of Fame can save the stories of those three guys. I'm a big believer in I'm, I'm, I've been on the Board of Trustees and the Selection Committee of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame for a long time. I'm a big believer that Halls of Fame, exists primarily for that reason, so that 50 years from now, when nobody who saw these people participate um, are around to attest to what they did, their exploits, their leadership, their talent will live on by anybody who can walk into the Hall of Fame. In Canton, Ohio, they have the technology to yeah. use all kinds of different television calls, radio calls, and different kinds of film. And it, it's a great experience. I, I love going back. You know, we usually only get to go back because our job is out here, um, thank goodness, uh, when they uh, have a, 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 an opportunity to play in the Hall of Fame game. Or and or if someone uh, special to the organization is being inducted, and um, you and I have both been fortunate enough to be at a number of those, and whenever you go to that, 
and you get a chance to walk through the hall and you see the exhibits and the, the bust room is my absolute favorite and you just walk through and relive the uh, experience of uh, knowing those guys and a lot of them we, we knew and not just guys who were with the Cowboys, guys who were around the league. When you've been around a while and you and I both have, then you get to know people and um, and you get to relive that this flood of memories that comes right. f- rushing back by just looking at their at their bust, and so it's a great experience. And for anybody who's a football fan, I, I uh, urge them to take advantage of it, of the opportunity, if you can, and go. And I'll give you a great example of what Brad's talking about about preserving those stories. Um, I had the opportunity um, several years ago uh, to go to the Olympic Hall of Fame. Ooh. In Switzerland. Ooh. And one of the neat, and this was. Okay, you win. I can't top that 20, <laughs> maybe 20 years. This was before technology uh-huh. really boomed, right? Well, one of the neat things in that Hall of Fame is with your admission, they gave you two tickets somehow, and you could go down into the film room and call up different events. Oh, man. All right? So. I knew, I know the story of Bob Hayes, right? The 64 Olympics before he came to the Cowboys winning the 100-meter dash. But I'd never seen it. I was 12 maybe at that time. I'm sure I watched it but didn't remember it. So one of my tickets I used was to watch Bob Hayes in the 100. And it was astounding how he... After about 60 yards, for 60 meters to the end, he kept pulling away. He was, he was leaving everybody behind to win. And I'm looking at this going, oh, my gosh, right? And the key thing when I was in that uh, Hall of Fame, in that film room, is you could look over other people's shoulders and see what they picked, and you could watch other events. And the, you picked the event and the language, right, of the broadcast. And so, you know, I saw some events that it was in a foreign language. I had no idea what they're saying, but I remember, you know, maybe the the event. So, yeah, that's what you're – and now what the the Pro Football Hall of Fame is doing is they've upgraded upgraded their technology to the point where you can watch guys' careers, highlights of their careers when you go in those rooms. And uh, it's awfully – uh, awfully special. You know, and the the unique thing, think about the – how – and I don't know if this has ever happened for the Cowboys, and not just the Cowboys, maybe the NFL, to have two guys going into the Hall of Fame the same year that were not drafted. How about that? They were undrafted rookies who made the team. And back then, think about it, I will, I, if I remember correctly, both got drafted when there were 17 rounds still going. Both, got, both were signed. And they used not only did they have that many players – chosen while they were being passed over. But in those days, the Cowboys um, was not unusual for them to bring a 100 rookies. Unlimited, right? You could do whatever you wanted. And they would go through a two-week camp where they hit before the veterans came in. And you had to, when, 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 when Cliff Harris survives that, when Drew Pearson survives all that, they, they didn't have four or five guys to beat out. They had 30 yeah, at their position. Oh, I remember, and I can't remember if it was Drew telling me the story or 
or Cliff, but when they signed their free agent contract of the rookies, they were told they were the number one yeah. guy at that position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they show up, just like Brad said, and all of a sudden there's 30 other wide receivers right. or 30 other safeties that they got to beat out to make the team. And, by the way, Drew, Drew is hysterical telling the story about how his uh, bonus – Oh, it's was great. A, it was $150, and, and he told his wife he got 75 <laughs> Yeah, because he, he wanted to use the 75 to go back to the dorm and party with uh, yeah. his teammates yeah. at, at, uh, at Tulsa. Yeah. yeah, and it was 175 so they basically paid in cash, too. Right. And he'll tell the, the other part of the story was he said that when he drove to the hotel where the Cowboy Scout was after the draft when they signed him, he barely had enough gas in his car to get to the, to ho- get to the hotel. So he had to spend some of that money on gas to make sure he could get back. Uh, yeah, and he was a newly married guy. and uh, Yeah, the, and, and, but they bird-dogged him. You know, he only played two years of wide receiver, I believe, at Tulsa because he got there as a quarterback. Right. As a matter of fact, he was the quarterback in, in high school that took over. Uh, it was in South River, uh, New Jersey, for Joe Theismann. Theismann. Theismann at that time, right? He, right. And he would call him Joey, too, Joey. by the way. Because that's what he was, and they, right. were, they were also the double play combination in baseball. Uh-huh. Theismann at uh, second and uh, at short and Pearson at second. So, uh, so their and stories. They were, and they were starting guards on the basketball team together. And at least – Drew was at Tulsa. People heard of Tulsa. Right. Who had heard of Wachita Baptist? There are people coming for Cliff's induction from Wachita who um, will never get another opportunity or reason to go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh, it's amazing that you know, and you look at the career that he had and you say, why did Arkansas not recruit him? They were a power in the Southwest Conference then. Right. And uh, they didn't. He played at Washita Baptist, and he was he was a quarterback. Uh, and 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 even to how unique his story is, when he was coming out of high school in Desark, God knows where that is in Arkansas, right? Well, you'll find out now. Oh Somebody's yeah, because he'll talk about it. And uh, he was a he he was a quarterback coming out. And when he first got there, you know, they finally said, okay, we're going to move you to safety. Um, and and the neat thing about it is he didn't get a scholarship to even Wachita Baptist until a friend of his father, who they played together at Wachita during their college days, recommended Cliff Harris to the head coach, and he got a scholarship. And now he's going in the Pro Football Hall And now Hall he's of going fame. in the Pro Football Hall of Fame with, by the way, he helped – uh, construct a new stadium for Wachita Baptist that has his name on it. And I had the opportunity uh, several years ago, probably five, six, something like that, we did a legend story uh, on on Cliff uh, for the Dallas Cowboys for TV, and we drove to, uh, Ar- is it Arkadelphia? Arkadelphia, right? Arkadelphia. Arkadelphia, and interviewed Cliff in the new press box at the stadium, right? And the folks there provided us pictures of Cliff 
driving the tractor that pulled down the last portion of the old stadium. Wow. <laughs> but it was so neat for him to go on the field and say, yeah, right here I did this or this happened, right? Uh, and, yeah, and, and, and that's one of the reasons, small college football at that time, that he's done the award for small college player right. of the year. Uh, which is a really neat award because some of those guys that they've selected have actually made it into the NFL. Made it, made it and done very well. And uh, the fact that they could not have an induction last year because of COVID right. means that uh, there are there 10 of them going in Saturday from the class of 20, or is it more? Well, they, there was 20 nominees, and I think they've picked 10. I think that's right. And then, and then Drew is in the class that will go in Sunday night from the class of 21. But because there are so many, they're being limited to like six minutes. Right. And Drew got in, got in as the lone nominee senior, by the yeah. senior committee. Right. Uh, but they were going to make up for the seniors right. that hadn't made it the year before, but then they had to push the uh, induction back. So, yeah, their stories are so unique that they got here. Uh, and, and really, Drew will tell you a story. You know, he made the team uh, in 1973 as a rookie uh, because special teams, because he was considered second, third team wide receiver at the time until some guys got hurt and he got a chance to uh, start. And even Cliff. Otto Stowe is the guy Otto who got Stowe, hurt. Yes. And Drew uh, will credits Otto Stowe with being the one who taught him how to run routes and play pro football. Right. And then it was Otto Stowe who got hurt, whose job Drew took and never gave it up. And then Cliff, his rookie year in 1970, uh, he had earned a starting job, and then he had military service duties. Well, the people today don't remember or acknowledge this, but I was in the same exact spot in that same year uh, where you, if you were fortunate, you got into a National Guard or Army Reserve unit so that you didn't go immediately overseas to combat in Vietnam. And so Cliff was one of a number of those uh, players who had to, they had to go to two weeks uh, bivouac, two weeks uh, training during the summer. They had to make a meeting one weekend a month. You know, they don't care that the Eagles game is coming up. You're you got to go. And so he'd made the team, and then he had, to, and then he had military duty for, for a while. He ended up with only uh, five starts in 11 games that year, and he, he will profess that when he had to do his military duty, that gave Charlie Waters a chance to get on the field. That's and, his story. And That's play, story. right? Uh, and then they both earned starting jobs after that. Uh, but, yeah, he you know what? 1971, I was in the same boat as you were because – uh, they they got rid of all the uh, all the exceptions. College deferment went away, and I ended up in ROTC for two years. Yep, there you go. Um, but yeah, that was a real thing. And you were lucky then. to be, you were lucky to get an ROTC because they were my which draft. stands for Reserve Officer Training Corps. Right, and I wasn't a very good <laughs> trainer. I guarantee. Yeah, trainee, but you were right? training to be an officer, right? And I was the lowest rank possible. I was an 11 Bravo. I was what they call a grunt, an infantry soldier. I think my induction class was the last one they were sending people to uh, Vietnam uh, before the deal got called off in, I want to say it was February of 1973. I saw the thing come over the 
the ticker tape at the newspaper. Missed it by that much. Yeah, <laughs> got it. Uh, but anyway, that that's how those guys' careers uh, began. And, and Jimmy, you know, Jimmy coached. You know, everybody thinks, uh, well, he was a coach here with the Dallas Cowboys those five years. But I went back and looked, and he spent uh, 20, I want to say it was 25 years coaching before he got the Cowboys. And it was small college, high school at one point, uh, before he, he sort of uh, broke through. 24 years it was, and, and he coached from 1965 to 1988 before he got the Cowboys job. But um, check your math. Did Was he ever anywhere longer than five years? Uh, no. In his life, he has never held a full-time job. You can't count his Fox job. Yeah, he, yeah, does, right. he does. He flies in one or two days a week in the non-pandemic, and uh, he's never held a job in his life. It's part of his story. That uh, a full-time job longer than five years. None of the high school jobs. No. Nope. None of the college jobs. As assistants, defensive coordinator. Right. He was at I. Was he at Iowa State? Iowa State. He was State Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. He did Oklahoma, Arkansas. Uh, and then he got the head coaching job at Oklahoma, at State. Oklahoma State, five years. Five years. And then he went Miami, to Miami, how long? Five years. And then he came to Dallas, how long? Five years. And then he went to the Miami Dolphins, and how long? And I think long? it was only four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they got blown out in the playoffs. And when he went to Miami, he had to deal with something that he didn't have to deal with in Dallas, which was free agency. Right. And the beginnings of the salary cap. They didn't have any of that. Right. But that's just, that's not being critical. That's just part of Jimmy's and he met Story. Miami Dolphins, not the university. Right, of. that's right. He and 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 he he um, Jimmy uh, grew uh, restless uh, going into the five year period wherever he went, and that's why he moved all the time. But yeah, he had a kind of a not atypical college resume. You look at Dave Campo's resume. Sometime. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, there there was one job left off because he had accepted a job as a uh, one of the um, what do they call it? the the intern, the graduate assistant coaches at col- in college in college yeah. at Clemson, and he got there. With Frank Howard. Frank Howard. He's got great Frank Howards. I got great Frank Howard stories yeah. from my first newspaper job. Uh, but, yeah, Frank Howard was the head coach, and then he was there in, in the off season. And before the next semester started, uh, he got the offer to come back. And I can't remember if it was to Oklahoma or Arkansas, and he came back. And, 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 and so he never coached really a season at Clemson, but had been there. Uh, yeah, he tells some great story, Frank Howard stories, and, boy, what a now there is a guy, a right? character. Oh Frank my Howard, yeah. lord! I remember doing interviews with him in his office when he had become the AD, and he had a spit tune on the side oh of his my. desk, and that was part of his deal when he was doing an interview with you. Uh, but yeah, so Jimmy, Jimmy paid his dues before he he got the breakthrough. And I remember when he got the job at Oklahoma State. I was doing Big 8 Skyrider tours, and that's when I first met him. And I said, you know what? This guy's a little different. You know, the thing that's uh, interesting to me about Jimmy, I mean, all, all of these, all of the coaches the Cowboys have had <clears throat> have been really good football minds and uh, in varying degrees and differing ways, really good instructors. 
Uh, Jimmy, of course, had a psychology degree. <clears throat> and I'm not sure, as much as Bill Parcells loved to push buttons, and uh, as much as Tom Landry would admit that he sent messages to his players through the media, I, I don't think that there's ever been anyone who was able to, and, uh, and I'll say this word advisedly and mean it in a positive way, I don't think there's ever been anyone who was able to manipulate his people psychologically like Jimmy. It wasn't that Jimmy didn't have as much football uh, expertise as anyone else. Clearly he did. What a great resume. Um, he had great organizational skills, He had, and he's, he's the first one to say it. He's got a phenomenal eye for evaluating talent, and uh, but but Jimmy really knew how to get players. I've never seen anyone have the the talent that Jimmy did for saying to his players on Monday, "This is the this is our theme this week." He would quickly dissect the game they had just played, and he would establish the theme of the week. Tuesday was the players' day off, and by the time we got a chance to talk to them on Wednesday, they were all parroting that line. Right. And that's a, gr that's a sign of a really artful coach. And if he needed to emphasize that message on Tuesday during his press conference, weekly press conference, he would emphasize that through the media. <clears throat> and if he needed those guys to know that he was PO'd going into Wednesday's practice, you remember the time he walked out of the press conference? He just w got mad at a question. He had already determined he was mad, right, and that he was going to walk out. Like a basketball coach looking for the opportunity yeah, to get to thrown get a out technical, of the game. right? And he he <clears throat> walked out of the press conference uh, because he wanted to send a message to the guys that hey, we are going to be down to business uh, on the next day. I, I can't tell you how many times he did it that time. Uh, they got beat by the Giants really bad up in the Meadowlands, and uh, he 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 just totally ignored the game and started complaining about the officiating. Like, since my daddy blew up a football, that was a penalty, right? And yeah. and he would go on and on, and he would take the attention away from how bad they were in 1989. Uh, I could tell you, uh, in in uh, I I believe it was it was either 89 or no, it was 89. And back then, the newspaper would give us a week off because training camp would go six weeks, right? So uh, my family came down, and we were in San Diego before a preseason game, right? And get in the elevator, and uh, the door opens, and Jimmy gets in, right? So remember, we were giving him a hard time that, that, fresh, that uh, rookie year. Uh, and this was – oh, so it had been 90. That's right. So anyway, he uh, – he looked, I introduced him, I introduced my wife and our daughter, and, and he looks at our daughters probably 10, 11, and he goes, yeah, he goes, you need to talk to your daddy because he's pretty hard on me. <laughs> but that was Jimmy, right? Yeah. So we and can, did she? Uh, yeah, no, she, 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 was, <laughs> she was like, uh, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> yeah, right, but. You know that's that was him, and uh, but you know what? After that initial part, you got to understand him, and he was he he would be then very honest with us, 
Uh, he didn't tell us everything, but he was honest. It, it was easy to see the skills that Jerry saw when he – Jerry knew, obviously, when he bought the team that he was going to hire Jimmy. And it's easy to see the organizational skills, the talent evaluating skills, and uh, the and the personnel handling skills that Jimmy had that made him successful so quickly. Yeah. Uh, and one last story. So before they drafted Troy Aikman, they were acting like, well, we don't know if we – because Jerry was trying to – they were trying to, you know, make sure that he didn't get paid too much, right? We got another guy we can take at the first pick, you know. It was the – Tony uh, Mandrich. Tony Mandrich, the offensive lineman that went to Green Bay and flamed out. And um, – Afterward, and he was playing. He was playing poker, right? Poker face the whole thing. So after the draft, they took Aikman and the actually before, and then got him signed before the draft. And I think a week or so later, we were in there. So we got to go in his office like Monday, I think, the beat writers, and interview him. When we got in there, and he got presented by I think it was Ed Werder, a deck of cards. Like to say, okay, you were playing poker with us, right? Well, he proudly kept that deck of cards in the front of his desk the whole time uh, he was there. Yeah, it, that, that was quite a ride. Well, I'll tell you what, Brad, thanks for joining sure, me. Sure, you bet. Uh, we could have done this for two hours probably telling stories about these guys. But you know what? Their stories will be told the weekend they get inducted this Saturday and Sunday in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I would think that's got to be must-see TV. Without doubt, and I'm, uh, we haven't been told, and I don't think the club as of midday on Monday has even been told by the NFL what the game day protocols will be because one of the highlights every year is seeing both teams who are playing in the game line up in uniform during pregame, line up on the field, and the new Hall of Famers come paraded out, usually in Hawaiian shirts, uh, to acknowledge both teams. And, of course, in the case of Jimmy and Drew and Cliff, one of the teams would be the Cowboys, Troy Palomalu and, I guess, Alan Fanica and mm-hmm. a couple others uh, would be recognized by the state. I don't know if that will happen because of the COVID protocols right. that are still going on. Like who can be on the field and who, who can can't. be on the field, who can be in contact with whom. And But um, I do know that because we've both been at enough of them, when you experience an induction ceremony, there are a lot of Hall of Famers who come back and they sit up on the stage. I'm sure they'll be distanced. I'm sure they'll be socially distanced. But a lot of them wear their gold jackets. Yeah. And you look up and see decades upon decades upon decades of the greatest that pro football has had to offer. Now they're all sitting here and they're paying tribute to these people who are going in and to sit there in that audience and uh, and hear Jimmy Johnson and hear Cliff Harris and hear Drew Pearson tell their stories, and uh, relive their careers for those of us who have followed this franchise for a while. That'll be a great thrill. Well, you enjoy that, and I'm just telling everybody else out there, if if going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame weekend induction is a bucket list, it's attainable. You can do it. It's not too expensive. Uh, You can get there, 
and there's places to stay. You don't have to stay in Canton. You can stay in Cleveland, Akron, uh, but it's an untatable deal. So I think everybody needs to do that, especially if you've never been through the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. For Brad Shama, Mickey Spagnuolo, this was Mick Shots live from Oxnard, California. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this,